Hello, and welcome into another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 2, which is titled Day 1, which aired on Thursday, September 22nd, 1994. With me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Lauren, would you like to share with us some headlines from this week? Sure. Um, First, I wanted to note something I found really interesting, which is when I was doing some research for this episode, on the IMDb page, this is actually listed as episode three because of um, the pilot having been split between two episodes. It sometimes will come up as episode three and episode counts down the line will be off by one episode Mm. because of this. So we're going to be sure moving forward like we've been doing to keep episode titles in to make sure we're all following along correctly. I think that makes the most sense. Like when we're watching on Hulu, it definitely came up as episode two. Same with the disc. From what I've read, it seems like that's mostly for international distribution. They did it as a two-parter in like Europe and other places like that. But here it was like when it premiered here, it premiered as a full 90 minute episode. I guess it was a two hour block for TV. Yeah. Two hour with, the commercials and whatnot on, on NBC. But yeah, yeah, just for our audience to be aware of, this is episode two officially, but sometimes it will show up as three. So for the headlines this week, when we were so excited about our tom- time cop being number one, we forgot to mention that Clerks came out on September 13th. Friends debuted this week on NBC. And... I was looking at headlines and I found the New York Times reports that there were no charges for now against Michael Jackson. Yikes. As of 9-22-1994. So wow, have times changed. Mm. I'll take headlines that haven't aged well for 500, Alex. We'll see how many of those come up over the next 15 seasons. That's such a weird, uh, the the New York Times thing, Michael Jackson, uh, the less said about that, the better. But the the other two points, like, to me, that's such a strange sort of parallel, like, ER and Friends. Like, I I get they were both, like, kind of pillars of NBC in the 90s, but, like, it seems so strange to me that they were both kind of kicking off within a week of each other. Like, that's insane. I feel like they're for two very different audiences, Though they are, yeah. They're for two super different audiences, but to have, like, I mean, talk about, like, you know, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, like, but, like, one right after the other, like, two huge tentpole shows that are going to carry on for decades after they're gone, you get them starting within seven days of one another, like, that's insane. And obviously, ER lasted longer by yes. a wide margin, yeah. so... So it's clearly the better show. That's that's what that means, right? That's how that works. I mean, in this group, yes. But many people would argue that they like Friends more. So we won't even get into that debate. I will fully disagree. I tried to watch it recently on Netflix, and I was not a fan. Well, of course. That's why we're doing an ER podcast. True. Can we do a Parks and Recreation podcast next? If we meet the stretch goals. <laughs> Pandering to our audience. All right. Let's, so let's get, get into, into the this. Meat of the episode. <laughs> Yeah, so the episode opens with Wendy waking up Susan in sort of in a very similar way to episode one where Lydia woke up Dr. Green, but still, like, it seems like they just have that room for, like, every sleeping... It just always happens to be empty when a resident needs to sleep. Well, I, yeah. see, and I kind of, because I, I, I kind of looked ahead a little bit, and that, so they do this opening one more time in the first season, and so it kind of seems to me like they were almost trying to set up, like, kind of a formula a little bit of like here's how we start every episode and I guess they kind of just got away from that but it's I don't know to me it's very like 
again, authentic to a hospital environment. Like the hospital is this thing that all these like nurses and doctors and patients kind of flow through almost like, you know, blood cells. And, you know, so one night it is going to be Dr. Green's room. And then the next night it's going to be, you know, Dr. Lewis's room and Benton and Carter. Like it's, you know, everything's a moving part. Yeah. And this does seem much more like a very Susan Lewis centric episode. Oh yeah, definitely. I yeah. hadn't even looked at it that way, but you were completely right as we go through this. Yeah, because right away, Wendy says that they have a baby coming in and respiratory, respiratory arrest, which is, once you actually get to the trauma room, it that is one of the fakest looking babies I have ever seen. And that's probably Ooh. just a product of yeah. 1994. And I'm also not sure if they just were okay with it looking more rubbery because it was in respiratory arrest and it was colorless, but they could have gone a little more flesh color on that. Yeah, baby. it was like a weird like gray almost, which... I guess the baby's not getting oxygen, so... Well, so they go through this trauma, and the par- they kept going back to the parents. Like, it was so distracting for me, because they'd be trying to fix the baby, and they'd shoot over the distressed parents, and then they'd go back to the baby, and then go back to the very earnest, distressed-looking parents, and it just so took me out of the flow of the action, and I'm glad that for the most part they cut back on, like, having loved ones in the room as much over the course of the series... Because having that much concern in one room, it's just, it's really hard to keep the attention on the actual trauma. And I need to know how that baby aspirated on an earring. <laughs> it does seem like a strange thing to pick. Like, it's... Like, the the mom's got both of hers on. The dad, I don't think, had his ears pierced. Where did that, where did that baby get an earring to stuff into its mouth to choke on and end up in the ER? Yeah. It just saw something shiny and was like, ooh, candy. Keep yeah. your jewelry away from your children, folks. It, it was just such a strange, like, like you said, too, the, the look of the baby from when it's going through the respiratory arrest to when it's not, when it, you know, when they clear its airway. It's a one, like, one frame. It's a Cabbage Patch doll. And in the next frame, it's a perfectly normal, healthy, good flesh tone baby. Adorable baby. Yeah, like it was so jarring to go from just the worst, fakest looking baby in the world to like perfectly cute little toddler baby. And it wasn't even like, they didn't even go to very extensive lengths to like match up the Cabbage Patch doll with the actual, like it's like a, it's got a smaller head and like it's, uh, yeah, that just wasn't very So baby actor, if you're out there, you did a great job in this scene. You did a great job crying your eyes, crying your little eyes out. That's right. You were so cute. I hope, I hope college went well for you because that baby is definitely like what, 25 now, like 26, like younger than us probably 25 or 24 because i was two years old when this was aired (sighs) all right well now (laughs) now that i feel real old here we go we talked about this last episode i know but like i turned six every time you like see a kid in this show it's almost like that thing of like you know you see a dog and thing, and you're like that dog's definitely dead now like that's that's how i am that's how i am with the kids in this show where i'm just like oh that kid is like at least 30 now it's a bummer it's a real bummer We'll have to play Guess the Age of the Child in future episodes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Back on track. Yeah, and then <laughs> everything everything is everything is good. The baby is going to be fine. And then it goes right into get that first sweet, sweet opening opening credit okay, sequence okay, okay, that we all okay, know okay, and love. Okay, okay. I'm so excited to talk about this because this is one of my favorite themes of any show ever. And we, we, we kind of touched on this a little bit with the pilot episode, but of course we didn't get the intro with the pilot episode so this is our first chance to really dig into it here so good it's so good it's so fucking good it's one of those ones that like no matter how many times 
no matter how many episodes I'm watching in a row, I will not skip the theme music. Like the theme is crucial to this show for me. Like, and I have to listen to it and I have to have it every time, but there's this one aspect of it that I've always, I, I kind of picked up on it. Um, as we, my wife and I were doing our rewatch last year, or I guess not a rewatch, but our like first time through, have you guys noticed that there's like two different, it's not two different versions of the theme, but it's two different versions of how they take you into the opening sequence. Like, and to simply, to simplify it down to a, you know, a singular term, like there's a twinkle and there's a smash. So like Hmm. there are on episodes like this where it's a happy ending to the cold open where, you know, a baby is born or somebody makes a return or like, there's just very like, like happy emotions they tend to give you this nice soft little twinkle and then it takes you into the show or into the, the, the intro on other episodes where, you know, somebody dies or a big revelation is made or like Clooney busts through the door with a, you know, date who's ODing, you know, like whatever they'll go, it'll do like a hard smash and then they'll go right into the thing. Like there's no twinkle. Like it's just, it's, it's kind of like, it's, I, I think it's really cool that it like sets a very specific tone for each episode based on what kind of intro into the theme you get. So it's just one of those things that I kind of look out for. And we will definitely have to look out for that in the future. And it sounds like, now that we know that, it sounds like our theme music provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music, go look him up, was inspired by the the twinkle. The twinkle. <laughs> it was, the it twinkle was a, opening. It was a very correct and dedicated homage that he did for us. And yes. we, we cannot appreciate it. We love him and we appreciate him. So from there, we go pretty much directly into the German tourists which are going to be a constant in this thing right i mean they're they're, they are kind of the overarching theme in this episode is german tourists with the shits well it's not just german tourists is anyone who ate that german rush right well but they never leave though like they're there the entire time like they're kind of milling around in the background with their little emesis basins and like you know kidding like i I like and you hear the music like you hear the the german that music's from the wedding reception oh true you're right you're right that's true I also love that we come back from the twinkle and from the theme to Carter complaining, why didn't you wake me up for the baby? Like, oh, yeah. He's like, shut up. You got an extra hour of sleep. Now deal with these these German tourists yeah. <laughs> who are puking their guts out. We need stool samples. Everyone needs rectals. Enjoy. Yeah, he's still uh, in full like baby Carter mode in this one. Like They haven't really aged him up at all. One thing I noticed as I was watching the first few minutes of this like and i get it's a 25 year old show this is to be expected but i didn't notice it as much in the pilot is that the film grain on this was intense it looked like you're watching one of those like you know windows movie maker movie or uh videos where they put the like film grain filter on it where there's like little pops and stuff in the screen like i don't know if it was just well i mean i watched it on hulu so i guess it wouldn't have been a wouldn't have been a bad rip it would be an hd rip but i guess that hdification of it like you really pick up on like all the little imperfections in the uh, film and stuff yeah i noticed that a little bit but like i didn't maybe not to the extent that you're sort of describing we're actually watching it through on hulu as well because i've never actually watched the series through in hd i've only ever watched it on dvd or on 480p pirated rips that i keep (gasps) i know i own the series so (laughs) they got your money yeah they've got yeah they all got my money we do not (laughs) condone piracy yes that is psa we do not condone any no I have to put it in legally as a as a music business student. Well, you're not a music business student. I was. Okay, anyway. After this, we swing in to Susan just 
talking about how her morning's going and she runs up she runs into Timmy the sweetest desk clerk like I don't give him enough love when I'm rewatching these shows he is adorable when she's like oh my god I could use a cup of coffee more than life itself and he's like sugar no cream right I'm he, on he it. already knows and she's just like you're the best MVP gonna go about my day you know where to find me yeah. Just nice little highlight, nice little character moment between the two of them. Yeah. Just shows the relationships that are built throughout this show and just that they clearly respect each other and he yep. does what he can to support the doctors. And then we get another weird patient right away, the person who fell asleep on the beach. No, that's later. That's, la- that's later? Yeah. We're still, we're at, we're at the guy who had the prospective heart attack the, right the heart attack guy mr zimbano where he's laying with mr sambano where he's laying in the bed oh yeah and it's just it's a weird shot because he's they take one of the camera angles from like him laying in bed looking up at i think it's carter and benton uh it's carter it's carter and, Lu- carter and carter lewis and... carter and lewis yeah because she grabs carter out of uh doing emesis basin stuff to go look right. at this guy to go check him out yeah. but yeah it's just it's such a weird shot because we don't often see things from that weird patient up view yeah it was almost like a fisheye lens kind of thing yes. too like very very distorted perspective and you can tell this is still them getting their cinematography legs and figuring out what their voice and style for the show is going to be yeah because they do go back to that a fair bit maybe not they have, like there's one episode like in a later season where the where they do it almost entirely when they're talking about the one patient that's mm. actually central to the theme but of the episode. But that's, yeah, that's when it's the shtick for the episode. I'm talking about on a day-to-day patient interaction basis. They don't tend to... They definitely don't do it um, stationary like this. They would do the right. they would do the shot on the gurney quite a bit, where mm-hmm. it would be looking out at, like, the EMTs or the doctor who was pushing the gurney into the trauma bay. But they didn't... They rarely ever did it again like this, where they would have a patient already in a room, in a bed, and there's... The camera angle is from their perspective. Because I think... Because it does look... It's kind of like when you see Simpsons characters head on. Like, it's kind of weird weird like you don't it's a jarring angle and that's kind of how it is here like it's that fisheye lens where they both sort of look a little bit strange and it just doesn't really work yeah so mr zambano seems to be fine nobody's really too worried about him carter's just needs to keep an eye on him while they get what like blood gases and everything back yeah Yeah. and some other another person who's very skittish of having a clearly (laughs) under trained what is he new here yeah (laughs) i know he was another guy that i was convinced was gonna be somebody and then i looked up his imdb and it was like very unremarkable like he just didn't really have much much going on that had any sort of relevance for me i mean maybe somebody else would recognize him from something but i really like he had a very like distinct looking face that i was sure he was going to be somebody but really wasn't this is an episode that uh, unlike the pilot is very light on oh hey it's that guy stuff like there's there's a few that we'll touch on as we go but nowhere near as many as the pilot oh yeah but there yeah there's one big one that we noticed but if you find any if you find any i'm sure you'll share with us from there we go into the team getting a helicopter run yeah first shot of the helipad yeah we we find out that ross hasn't gone to see nurse hasn't gone to see carol hathaway at all in eight weeks yeah that there's been a two months time skip between oh the pilot yeah, yeah, and this yeah, episode yeah, yeah. and that doug hasn't gone gone to see hathaway at all two points on Clooney in this first little touch thing first of all he's gone from a full Caesar cut to like feathered perfectly like quaffed the Clooney hair, hair. the Clooney hair in just we're, we're let I mean it's one episode but I mean I guess they do say eight weeks so are we is that possible can you go from a full-blown Caesar cut to like perfectly quaffed like elevated hair in just eight weeks 
I was actually looking at some of the pilot again, and he loses the Caesar cut throughout that shot. Oh. Like if you watch throughout the episode, it actually devolves. It's not full Caesar cut through the episode. Okay. See, that's good to know. See, there's something more in that banana bag than just uh, just saline. It's yeah. Rogaine. <laughs> <laughs> but then the other thing was, uh, did you notice his fucking aviator sunglasses? Yes. Out of the oh my God. straight out of the like Joe Biden out of touch <laughs> white guy collection. I it's in my notes. I put wearing aviators up on the helicopter pad while dealing with patient intake does not seem safe. It's going to limit your visibility. You're not going to have the same wind protection as those goggles everybody else is wearing and you'll look like a tool. And you just know that he had to spend like at least a minute going around trying to find those fucking things so they could then yeah. go up. To, he's like, "No, no, no. I got to get my, I got to get my sh- my shades before we go up to the hold helipad." On, yeah, hold on. There's like Sir, the the woman is bleeding out, and you're looking for your aviators. Like, let's go. Yeah. Gotta be cool. Well, it's a whole family that's that's coming in, and also just touching on what you what you said with getting a first shot of a helipad. We actually spent just almost ten minutes trying to figure out where this was in the skyline. We paused it in two different views of this shot, looking at what buildings we recognized and what like whether they were easterly, westerly, like where they were trying to figure out which hospital it could possibly be. We spent 10 minutes discussing this. Yeah. We we figured out it's somewhere in the vicinity of Rush, of Rush Hospital, but and because there's like a whole like medical campus in that area that includes the old Cook County Hospital that they're technically supposed to be, I think. But I no, they're downtown cuz when they open the the ambulance bay, they, you often see the the L. Oh yeah. So I think I think it was probably not an actual hospital downtown, but for some reason this shot is in the vicinity of Rush. The only thing I could think of would be: is there any connection to univer? Was it University of Chicago? Is that what I read? That's on the far south side. Because the only the only thing I can think of, because while I was doing research on this, I did pick up that, and otherwise I would have thought it was a completely innocuous fact. But the helicopter is registered and operated by the University of Chicago. So that's one possibility that maybe they were in a University of Chicago building and doing something with that. I don't know. That could make sense with where they are. I also wanted to note it threw me off because the building I currently work in is not visible in the skyline because it was not built until like 10 years later. Ah, Gotcha. Okay. And so I'm just like, where's my office? Yeah, that's weird. It threw me off real bad. Skyline in 25 years ago was extremely different, which we'll touch on a little bit more later with a with another scene. Yeah. So Doug's a douche wearing his aviators. <laughs> you know, he's George Clooney. He's got to look pretty while he's doing his medicine. But yep. So we're intaking. Um, it's a mother, a father, and a daughter who were hit by a drunk driver. Daughter has suspected spleen damage. Uh, I think a fractured skull. Just not looking real great. Mother, I don't remember what quite was wrong with the mom. Something similar. It looked like there was some internal damage they hadn't quite ID'd when she's getting off the helicopter. Mm-hmm. And then the dad, a little scratched up, but probably just like a broken leg. Not too bad. Yeah, he so. had a head wound and uh, his leg was in a splint yeah. down when you when you cut to him. And they were talking to him about his wife and daughter. Yeah. So the wife and daughter get taken down to the trauma rooms, which, good God, the colors in these trauma rooms are so jarring. Yeah, those are, whew, those those are very ni- 1994. Actually, I don't even know that you could say they're 90s. Like, they're almost older than like that. 70s. Yeah, like 70s. Like, very. But that green. Yeah, the green in one, and then the other one is like, what, more of like a, I don't know what you would call that color. Like, beige. Beige, puce. I don't know. Like, it's very, I don't know. Vomit yellow. Yeah. Butter mellow. Butter, buttermelon. But yeah, so 
this also, well, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but there's a scene that comes up. You can tell me if I'm way off base here timeline-wise. There's a scene that comes up shortly after this, I think, where Benton goes to talk to the dad. Like, I guess the dad Mm -hmm. is fine, but mother, I think I have this right. Mother dies, daughter's in surgery, and... Little ahead. Yeah, little ahead. Okay, do you want to wait on that, and I can cover it when we get to it? It's basically, I'm trying to get to the scene where Benton is talking to the dad. Uh, we're almost there. Okay, I can wait. So there's there's a little bit um, further. Um, when the dad is talking, I don't remember who's, who's... I think it's Mark is doing the intake with him or discussing what may have happened. And he says the most heartbreaking thing to me. He just goes, we didn't even see him coming. The light changed, Janet screamed, and there he was. Having been in a car accident myself, not with a drunk driver, just a bad case of being at the wrong place, wrong time... That is exactly how it happened. One minute you blink, and then the next minute the car is right where it shouldn't be. And then hospital. They could not have framed that in a more perfect line for what that experience is like. Just having your life change. And then they leave the douchebag drunk driver guy like in there the whole episode pretty much like he's just sleeping it off like the whole episode like they keep going back to him and it's god I hate him. That's a recurring theme that throughout different episodes is that the drunk driver ends up usually okay. I mean, that's a recurring theme in life, I feel like. It's, there is no justice. Yeah, yeah there is no justice yeah. in this world. Yeah, it's it's just... This, this whole episode is so tonally strange to me compared to the pilot. Like, there's so... It, the, the pilot, which the pilot I get was a... Um, it was kind of a, a its own thing, and it was you know we, we we touched on that last episode like it's kind of peak after peak after peak, whereas this one there's kind of we don't get much that rises to the level of even any of those peaks from the first episode, mm-hmm. but there's just this kind of through line of just I don't know it's it, it's such a strange shift to go from episode one to episode two. Right. And it just, it seems like they didn't quite know where they wanted to land with this one after such an emotionally fraught episode one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. They're trying to, to bring some levity to it, but at the same time, they've also kind of got this harsh reality of, you know, this family that's been destroyed by drunk driver. And like, there's just, there's this weird kind of duality to this episode. Which, speaking of levity, we go into Dr. Carter still keeping an eye on Zampano, and all of a sudden, he just kind of falls asleep on him. And then his vitals go. And poor baby Carter, all by himself, nurses are running off to deal with the mother and daughter, has to go and grab a crash cart. And instead of wheeling the cart in and then dislodging the paddles, he undoes them and then pulls the cart down the hall. Drags the with cart. With the paddles out and live. It's it's my favorite thing. It's my favorite, like, baby Carter thing. Like, it's the kind of thing that is perfectly, it, he's the most, like, JD from Scrubs in that moment. <laughs> That is just so, like, counter to what he becomes very shortly after. Like, Carter grows up fast. And, yes. like, you don't get a whole lot of baby Carter. Like, we're, we're seeing a lot of it because we're we're so fresh and so beginning at the start of this. But, like, this goes away super fast. Like, he grows up in, in a real big hurry. So it's it's kind of fun to see him as the, like, bumbling, scared, nervous intern that's just dragging crash carts down the hall by the cord. Like, it's just, it's fun. Yeah, not even intern, just third-year medical student. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to see if we can identify the very moment where Carter grows up in this show. I think it's when he loses the middle part. It has to be when he loses the middle part, right? Because that's the most, like, emasculating thing on the planet. Like, he's he looks like, I don't... A boy band member. 
but not even a good one. Like like ninety eight degrees. Like he looks like a C tier boy band member. Like not even he's not even like Backstreet Boys or In Sync level. He's very like. We'll have to see if the part and the loss of innocence correlate. I think they will. All right, moving on. Next scene, we go into we're we're at about twelve minutes into the episode now, and Doug and Mark are walking along. We actually can identify where this is. This it's is Michigan. Yeah, this is Michigan Avenue between Wacker and the Wrigley Building along the river. I cross this bridge every day to get to work. You do actually. I just I do. About that. Yes, yeah, take- I, it threw me off this morning when I was commuting because we had just watched this episode, and I was trying to figure out where I'd have to stand to take a Mark and a Mark and Doug selfie. And Mark and Doug are t- are talking more about the fact that he re- that excuse me that Ross hasn't really gone to see Nurse Hathaway again, and how it's very he feels very response that Ross feels very responsible in his own way for her attempted suicide. And we still don't quite know why. We still don't quite have their history fleshed out. But like something's not quite right. Going again back to the pilot, like where I've said before, like I feel like the the whole Hathaway situation feels very underdeveloped and under, you know. And I get they're trying to like piecemeal it out just a little bit to leave a little bit of drama. But like, I don't, it just leaves a lot of this stuff feeling very kind of I don't know unfinished or un. They they didn't think it through all the way to a conclusion like it, it's very i don't know i will say this i did cheat and watch ahead an episode and episode three does a really good job with this okay good i'm not gonna spoil anything but all of these complaints that we're having are addressed and i feel like way. some of these complaints can be taken as like you said that hathaway wasn't meant to be a recurring character yeah that she was meant to die in episode one and they weren't quite sure how to work in more of that dynamic between her and doug and trying to figure out how they can sort of reintegrate them together. Because they clearly had that in mind from early on, that they wanted them to be a couple, that they wanted them to be, you know, your on-again, off-again problematic faves of the show. Yeah, they're just still trying to figure it out. But we've got our next audio clip is actually Doug and Mark discussing this. No, it's not. Oh, we didn't actually. My bad, we didn't clip this. No. But, um, no. Mark is trying to convince Doug to go and says, take her some flowers. You don't have to stay long. I'll drive you. Like, trying to be a supportive friend, but knowing it's important for Doug to reconnect with her and assuage his guilt. And he just says, you got to forgive yourself sooner or later. So we still don't know what happened, but clearly Doug was some sort of fuckboy and screwed things up. Yeah. And little side note about this scene, uh, where they're looking, they're looking west uh, along the Chicago River. That That whole building area has changed quite a lot the biggest change being the chicago sun times building that you see in the background uh, is now the location of unfortunately a the- uh, a hotel chain of a conglomerate who we will not name because that despot does not deserve to have his name on our show okay i can i can dig with that our current president it's the trump tower daniel <sighs> yeah so moving on from the river scene we bring out we have another uh recurring character on the show that comes up. I think even just this episode. I'm not sure if he is throughout the series or he's, but he shows up a couple times. He's recurring. He's, recurring. he's definitely recurring. At least in season one, he's recurring. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I know his eventual, spoiler alert, his eventual plot thread is that he ends up killing a kid because part of, partially because of this, him he getting shot in this episode, he starts to keep a gun in his shop. Okay, you're right. Yeah, my bad. And there's a very emotional moment. I don't know when it is. I think it's probably either later this season or early next, but he actually winds up 
killing a kid. Spoiler. It seems like they had a yeah. lot of those in season one, like a lot of um, outside of the hospital side characters that like didn't otherwise impact the plot at all, that they kind of like narrowed their scope as the show went on. Like they, they got increasingly like more and more into just the hospital and just the people that were, you know, the doctors and the nurses and stuff. Like it was less about these like little minor ancillary characters on the side, like the shopkeeper and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. and like, um, I'm trying, I'm struggling to remember the, the character's name, but he comes up a lot in the early seasons. He's like the special needs guy with the, he wears like a football helmet. Yes, I can't uh, remember yeah, his the name. The black guy. The black guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm blanking on. I want to say it's like Where Dennis or something. Yes, I think so. Yeah, like, but yes. he's like a recurrent. He comes up again and again and again in like the first two or three seasons, and then he's just gone. And then that's you just never really get any sort of resolution on that. And it's no, I think they acknowledge what happens with him. Do they? Oh well, we'll see when I don't. We'll remember. see when we we'll get there. Out, but like, but, that's yeah. a perfect example of the type of type of character that i'm talking about though like a character who isn't a staff member at the hospital or isn't one of the family members of one of the main characters but just has this little backstory going on in the background that we're going to touch on it here and there and as the seasons wore on they kind of did less and less of that and just focused more on the people inside of county general yeah right but for now the shopkeeper he's very happy well he's not very happy he's kind of grumpy he's he's pissed yeah but he's very happy that he's in the care of dr benton which Ben doesn't really do anything besides tell him that, oh, you're going to be fine because the bullet went through and didn't really do anything major damage. So we'll get you up to the ER or the OR. You'll be fine. Yeah. Well, we're going to do a little exploratory surgery just to make sure, just to make sure everything's okay. And just to clean up any debris or anything like that. But, and that sends the shopkeeper over the moon. Like, oh my God, you're, you are what Peter thinks he is. God's gift to medicine. (laughs) Do you want some cognac? Do you want some cigars? great cigars and peter's just like no thanks i don't smoke walks out and as as carter goes to follow him the shopkeep says he's a good doctor eh carter just responds yeah he's the best yeah we should also note that the shopkeeper is uh decidedly eastern european and is just absolutely chewing the scenery like he is just on 11 with his performance he's just doing the most at least in my- he's one of those characters he's just always on yeah like that he's he, lo- he loves his character clearly and he's just he just he just enjoys the time he has he's with doing it. the damn thing so now we go into a recurring patient throughout this episode um, i don't think he comes up necessarily within more but no but this theme comes up a lot yeah this the theme comes up at least a lot with uh, sort of like the homeless or senile patients that really don't have resources that have sort of fallen through the cracks of social services that when they come into the hospital don't really have a severe enough problem one way or the other like they like this guy clearly needs psychiatric help or in a home or, or yeah in a yeah in a care facility somewhere but there's just it's one of those things where there's like too few resources for someone like him because he's not severe enough even though you know they find him just walking through walking almost naked yeah he's through. he's absolutely that's oh that's the second time excuse me he's he's just heartbreaking like because you you mm-hmm. just we've all had someone in our lives either a relative or a friend or something who has experienced dementia or alzheimer's and just seeing that kind of the the person you love is in there you know but they're just confused and they're just distraught and it's it's just so heartbreaking to watch yeah, but this guy has unfortunately no one, and Lewis is really. This is where Lewis's sort of central conflict in this episode kind of comes up between her and the chief of psychiatry, uh, Div Svetic. Dr. Dickhead. 
you, there's we you thought there was only room on this show for one asshole doctor. Oh boy, are you wrong? I hate him so much. Yeah, he's he's a real prick, and his whole oh, I just thing, his whole thing kind of ends really weirdly. And oh yeah, I don't remember him enough to be upset right uh, now. Oh well, uh, another spoiler alert: he eventually ends up going psychotic himself. How do I not remember? I don't this? think he makes it out of season one either. Like he's. He's yeah. one that they gave up on real fast. Like they were just like, "Nah, we got to get rid of this guy." He's How do I not remember this at all? Well, well, you'll see it as it comes through. It, be, it becomes more and more obvious as as the episodes go. Yeah, along. and it's much less spectacular than it sounds. Like he doesn't like you know go crazy and like destroy the ER or anything like that. He's just he kind of has a breakdown and leaves. It's it's very anticlimactic. So yeah, they get they get into it, and that'll be that'll come up in a little bit. But uh, the next. Uh... Um, but our next patient that we see uh, of Dr. Carter's and Dr. Benton's. It's a gentleman with leg pain. Yeah, it's a gentleman that no, comes. his stomach hurts. Yeah, a gentleman comes and his stomach hurts, and he recently had a surgery. Do we remember what surgery it was? Um, I want to say it was like a graft of some kind, wasn't it? Like, didn't. Something like yeah. that, yeah. yeah. Something affecting his stomach region, intestine region. Benton is convinced it's thrombosis and wants to do a more invasive procedure. Right. To look, no, it it is Benton wants the angioplasty because Carter just dismisses it and thinks, let's check out X Y Z, and Benton says, "Good job, you've just cost this." Yeah, uh, you're spoiling our audio clip here. So let's. Sorry. Yeah. That was my bad. Sorry. So after after Noah Wiley gives his whole spiel, which apparently Lauren found out that in a behind in, the scenes, I, I got this. So when. Benton asks, okay, what's the patient's history? Because this whole episode, Carter's been doing a terrible job about getting patient history and getting back in a timely fashion. He then goes into this quick, minute-long diatribe, listing out everything wrong with this guy in a very thorough fashion. And Benton goes, well, what's his mother's maiden name? And Carter panics, thinking he forgot that, (laughs) and it was something he needed. But in the featurette on the season one disc, it notes uh, there's an interview with Noah Weil, and he says that... um, he can still recite that line to this day because after Benton had screwed up so many times, after Eric LaSalle had screwed up so many times, he's like, no, I got to get this take one, shot one. And like, he just so rehearsed it to memory that there's a cut in this featurette of him going from like the show scene, him saying it all the way to him saying it in the interview. And it like syncs up perfectly. Yeah. So there's later. So they're discussing the what the, what Carter would want to do in this situation, and then we get uh, this audio clip. Doctor Carter, what would you do? Well, in view of his history of constipation, the diffuse nature of the pain, I'd order a CBC, Chem Seven, UA amylase, and a KUB. And if they're normal, not discharge him. I'm gonna follow up with his personal physician. Yeah. Congratulations, you just cost this hospital a two million dollar malpractice settlement. <laughs> uh, and I, I love the the unspoken part of that exchange Halle the nurse who is she already you know dunked on Carter once when Benton got him with the mother's maiden name thing like she was like he's joking like she's already dunked on him once and then the look on her face as he's clearly kind of twisting in the wind here is just I, I just love that actress so much she does such a good job yeah, that's another another thing of sort of Ben really being an asshole this this time towards Carter and especially in front of a patient. That just seems super unprofessional. 
Yeah, and it's seems not a gr- super humiliating if I was Car- if I was Carter in that situation. Not a great look, especially because hadn't that patient already sort of been like, I want to see my doctor. Like, I want to, you know, he was kind of or like, already yeah. making a stink. Yeah, he was like, I called my doctor. He should be here. Like, shouldn't we wait for him to get here? And Benton's like, I'm really concerned this could be thrombosis. And just something really serious could be wrong. And then we, from there, we touch on the drunk driver again. Turns out his blood alcohol level is 0.435, which is approximately... Two and a half, three times five, No, it's I think five. it's because I think it's 0.08 is the legal oh, limit. Yeah, right. that's, so it's approximately 0.5 times the legal limit. Which, like, that... That which, literally means whew. that his blood is 43% alcohol, which that to me seems like borderline comatose. I'm no doctor myself. No, but... I think that's, no, I think, is that what that means? Yeah, like when you're bl- like blood alcohol content, like it's 0.08 means like you're at a little bit less than 10%, like you're at 8% blood alcohol volume uh, or blood alcohol content. Well, he has passed the fuck out. And yeah, that, that, then that checks out. Like, Because I, I asked my wife about that, too. I was like, he's still sleeping this off? Because they should go back to him several times. And she was like, yeah, you'd be surprised. She's like, we, we've we had drunks in the ER sleeping off all the time, and it takes hours. I want to clarify, the, um, the 0.08 is 0.08%. It's not 8. It wouldn't be 8%. It would be 0.08%. So here, if he's 0.435, that's... 0.435% of his blood. Yeah, I was going to say 43% of your blood being alcohol seems like you're very dead. But that's percent. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not a math major, but that, that to, like. No, I, I will clarify that is not 43%. That is 0.43%. So for every thousand units of blood, four of them are alcohol. Um, Science. Is awesome. From there, now is when we get the lovely gentleman who fell asleep on oak street beach Ugh, ow yeah and just has those have to be at least second degree burns over his entire front of his exposed it body looks so painful oh my god they did so well with that makeup and just his little the way he like barely moves his mouth and like can just waddling along like he just, he sells it so well yeah it's very cartoonish like very again like inserting kind of that levity into this episode a little bit like it's you feel for that guy and then uh who is it carter that ends up on him or like somebody ends like no. somebody ends up in his lap basically it's dr green actually because jennifer comes that's in right as, the, as dr green is tending to this patient and just sort of trying to get him sit trying to get the patient situated and jennifer comes in and reveals that yay she passed her bar which having friends who have gone through a law school is no small feat so it's no doubt that she would be thrilled that fucking excited too because i've seen friends on facebook who have gone through this process and it basically just takes over your life for months at a time for for months and when you pass it it's the biggest weight off your shoulders. I am never going to go to law school. I've never been to law school, so I will never know this this pain and this joy. But but Jennifer is very, is extremely happy, and yeah, she jumps up onto Mark, and Mark sort of falls back into the patient. And <laughs> we say we jump when she when we say she jumps up onto Mark, she climbs him like a yes. tree, legs wrapped around him, smooching him in front of everybody. This whole episode really like with Mark and Jennifer, and then later with Lewis and the shrink, like they really like they they're flexing their prime time muscle here of like we can get away with a lot more than we would if this show was airing at you know seven o'clock at night but because it's airing at nine or ten o'clock at night we can get away with a lot more and this is like a prime example of that so she drags him to the bathroom yeah (laughs) which is the least like doing it in the bathroom is the least mark green move i could possibly imagine 
No, he's kind of a dweeb. I could see it doing. He'd, he'd, he'd be cornered into it and be like, I guess, which is kind of exactly what happens. <laughs> he's just like, oh, oh, this is happening. Okay. Yeah. And his shirt comes off and his glasses come off and you see him, you see him fiddling his, his hand. hand. <laughs> yeah. His hand fiddling near the emergency call button. Might that be foreshadowing? Hmm. Who knows? I don't, I have no idea. So but now we get into Benton talking to the dad. Yeah. So if you want to talk about that. Oh, yeah. So this is like the one. First of all, can we talk about that shirt that, that my man yes. is wearing? Like, <laughs> Why why care about uh, the drama when we can just look at 90s like, fashion? Damn. Can't, I know the other guy is like, we know he's drunk, but can we get a blood alcohol on this guy with this shirt? Like, what were you thinking? I don't know. I'd wear it. I mean, I guess it's it's an aesthetic. Uh, do you. But whew, even in 1994, I felt like that shirt was a little bit out of place. But uh, regardless of that. I, I try to keep like an eye out my, certainly like my wife we, we watched this one together and like she was trying to pick apart any sort of like technical mishaps as far as like the medical side of things and actually this was a, a fairly clean episode like she only came out with like one or two minor little gripes like Lewis puts her stethoscope on backwards once and just a couple little minor things like nothing really stood out as like really glaring but this was like my biggest like holy shit that was terrible was so when uh, Benton is like giving his little speech to the guy about, you know, we did this for your daughter. We we're doing this for your wife and it's not working and whatever the camera like kind of rotates around. And as it rotates around, you hear Benton say to the, to the um, dad, she's going to die. His lips don't move at all. And it's, it's mm. completely like the, if you like, we went back and watched it like two or three times and like the tone completely changes uh, the tone of voice uh, for Benton completely changes from the first half of the sentence to the second half of the sentence. And so I don't know what the like, I don't know if they decided later that the mother needed to die and that they needed to like, you know, shoehorn that in. Or maybe he just, you know, fucked up the line enough times that they were like, fuck it, we'll just fix it in post. But it was just really like almost glaringly bad for a show that doesn't really have a lot of that. Like you don't really get a lot of big mm. technical glitches, but this one was one that stood out to me. It was like, man, like that's yeah, ADR as fuck. Well, yeah. and I want to say when Benton tells him this, he then gives him no time to process and immediately goes, have you guys talked about organ donation? Like there's not even a moment for the news to hit him before Benton asks this. Yeah. I will give Benton credit. Cause he then sits with the guy and like hugs him. But like, he doesn't even give him two minutes to go, shit, he's just automatically, your wife's going to die. It's one of those things, like, it, it, yes, it's a, it, it's definitely true to Benton's kind of character of, like, he's always about business and he's always about, like, next man up type attitude. Like, he's not, right. he's never, he's not one for the touchy-feely, but he it is sort of that is sort of a thing with the organ donation like if they're going to do it like they've got to do it now because those organs aren't going to be viable for very long after she passes away I, and i don't i don't remember i don't think she's dead at this point i think she's she's no. clearly going to die but she hasn't died yet so time is of the essence but yeah you're right he could have given you know a little bit of breathing room for this guy before he goes yeah can we hack up your wife and take her organs yeah a little bit Daniel, we've got a. Oh, hey, it's this motherfucking guy. Oh, would you. that be Doctor Jigsaw? That sure would be Doctor Jigsaw. Oh man, A.K.A. Doctor Wirtz, who is <laughs> Doctor Wirtz is the hospital administrator. Doctor Morgenstern, William H Macy, is the ER administrator. 
we were trying to figure and this I out. Don't, so. I mean, I could be misremembering, but I don't think that Dr. Wirtz is ever seen or referred to ever again so. after this episode. So I don't know, like... Maybe they finally got him that script for Jigsaw ten years early, and they were like, or, you know, they Maybe. were like, we need, we need to start getting prepped, start getting old and wrinkly, and shave your head and be real weird, like. But yeah, it was when when he showed up. I was like, wait, I know that voice. Oh yeah, he's so like recognizable, like instantly. Mm. It was it just gave you the heebie-jeebies, even though he's not he's not creepy. Being saw. yeah, he's not creepy in any way in this episode, but he still gives off that vibe. Because we know what he will become. Yeah, he was the definitely the main. Oh, hey, it's that guy in this episode. There's there's not many of them, but he was he stood out. He was it. And he will eventually make Carrie Elwes saw off his own foot. I love those movies. Just the first one. Just the first one. The rest of them are garbage. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Emergency. Uh, grab a crash cart. Yeah, because oh look, that foreshadowing of Mark. <laughs> Of oh, Mark's hand being around God. that emergency call button. They all burst into the room, and just kidding, not a crash. Mark's just getting a blowjob. Yeah, MBD. Did, are we actually, like, insinuating slash simulating oral on a network television show in 1994? I believe so, because he is clearly standing and leaning back, and she is fumbling on the floor. I don't know how her earring fell off. Right? Like, like what is I'm the, not even going into that, but... Like... Wh- and this isn't a pre like Monica Lewinsky world too. Like, so it's not like it's fun and cute to do wink and a nod blowjob jokes. Like this is like, I, I did not remember them like pushing the envelope quite this much uh, as they are. Everyone gets a very hearty laugh and a good uh, look at Dr. Green. Yeah. A good look at Dr. Green and his Johnson. And then we move to the bathroom and we get <laughs> this lovely clip uh, featuring an interaction between Doug and Mark. And it was on the emergency call button the entire time. Oh, man. I miss all the good stuff. I'm never going to live this down. It's great. Everybody thought you were some kind of a saint. I was going to start calling you Mahatma. What's going to happen when Wurtz hears? You were with your wife. Lucky you. <laughs> hey. I'm chief resident. I'm supposed to set a good example. Well, it's a big hospital. Maybe Wurtz won't even hear about it. Hey, Mark, um, how's it hanging? <laughs> I'm a dead man. <laughs> I just realized something. I'm sorry to take us out of this humor. Dr. Wirtz, a.k.a. Jigsaw, comes up because Susan Lewis is trying to fight for Victor, the senile patient, to get admitted. I just wanted to bring up that that's a conversation that she has with the hospital admin to try and get him admitted. But... Going back to this scene with Mark and Doug. Mark does not wash his hands. Ew. Come on, Mark. He gives them the courtesy rinse and shake, but he does not wash his hands before going back and opening up patients. Rude. I love Clooney's laugh in this thing. Like, that laugh that laugh too. feels so real. <laughs> like, that feels like a very real laugh out of Clooney. And I just... Everything about their interaction, like you said in, in the last episode, like they, they do have one of the better bromances uh, throughout the entire show. Like it's it's so good. They're just they're The actor's chemistry is so good that you can feel that history between them. Yeah. Yeah. Without having to expand on it at all. Like they don't need to, to do a bunch of like, hey, remember when we did this thing to try to like make this manufactured chemistry there? It's just it just is. It's just them being bros. And I love the I love the part. You were with your wife. You're lucky. <laughs> Like, and don't it, the the clip cuts off before it, but don't they immediately after that 
start fucking with Carter in the stall. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because he's he's asleep with his pants down in the stall. Yeah. And they just start like hazing uh, him and going clear. <laughs> that was like, more of a visual. Yeah. Thing. A little, little more. So, visual, so I didn't really get that. Oh, and here's our weird flex, Daniel. The sex shame rash girl is back from last episode. And they've kind of almost they've changed her her tone a little bit too. Like they've taken her less from like kind of creepily intense sexual person to now she's sort of like quirky bouncy like flirty eh. sort of like the, well with carter anyway like i don't know if maybe it's tailored because she's dealing with green in the first one and then she's dealing with i don't know the whole character kind of weirds me out like i don't know why she's there it's it's a weird flex it really is like why are I we going back understand. to the show two times in a row like I, d- I don't get it and her name is lizzie thanks for that you're welcome <laughs> I mean, I too am kind of a slut, but you know, not in a really creepy way. And our parents are going to hear this wonderful. Yeah, that's but their yes, problem. But yeah, so it's just it's a weird flex that they bring this back, and I'm not sure if she's supposed to be like a punchline or really what their angle is on this. Yeah, character. that's my thing. I don't know what the per- I don't know what her purpose is. Like, it's not like she's there to teach a lesson. Like, it's not like she's there to you know make this like grand commentary on sexual assault victims or or anything like that. Like, she's just sort of there. She feels weirdly threatening to me. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, like, I don't know if that's just because of the current climate that we're in, where it's it's just, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's just something about it just seems off mm-hmm. to me. She's not one of my favorites, I'll, I'll say that. But then we get to, like, more like the first, like, really, like, tearjerker patients. Um, <laughs> we get this love, we get this lovely older couple, this very sweet old gentleman, and his wife, who is in respiratory failure, failure, and she's just old. She's 86, I believe is what mm-hmm. they said. She's old, she's dehydrated, her lungs are failing. Yeah, she's just reaching the natural end of her life, and Mark is treat- and Mark is trying to treat her, and is really trying, is really what, I love that he advocates for her to not be put on a respirator. Patient comfort. Yeah to prioritize quality of life over quantity of life Mm -hmm. because that's a very personal thing like i've seen people close to me try to have their quality of life or excuse me quantity of life extended and it's just never really gone well yes not not to get too heavy on this but this is actually something near and dear to my heart because my father just passed away two weeks ago after a nine-year battle with alzheimer's and towards the end, it was such a moot point over trying to extend his life versus letting him pass with dignity and comfort when there was clearly like, okay, if we put a feeding tube and a respirator on him, what are we bringing him back for? He hasn't spoken in three years. Like, after a certain point, it really does become about patient comfort and patient dignity. And it's so refreshing and great that even in, you know, 1994, we see Dr. Green advocating for this and showing this woman that respect. Yeah. And handling it very gracefully with this gentleman being very, very calm. He's extremely calm during this whole conversation. And he's just being very, he's speaking very plainly and being as simple and as as thorough as he possibly can with all, with telling this gentleman like your wife is going to die one way or another like she is reaching the natural end of her life we can do this one of two ways 
Well, and I like that um, this scene kind of wraps with him saying, you know, all right, I hear you. We'll wait and we'll see what her blood gases are after she's had fluids for a little bit and after the nebulizer treatments have time to work. Like, we're not ruling out more aggressive options, but let's also be realistic with what we get back. Yeah, I like that he doesn't try to strong arm him into anything. Like, he's very... He's pragmatic, but he also still, he's really is like presented as like the perfect doctor. Like he's got like, he's strong when he needs to be, like he's stern when he needs to be, but at the same time, he never loses that. He doesn't become like Benton, you know, where he's this, you know, emotionless sort of robot. Yeah. Then hard pivot into the buffet coming up again at the German restaurant, but this time, yeah, but this, but this time with a wedding party. And yes, a husband and his wife. His the newly wife. minted wife. Yes. And she is just throwing up and Wendy is with and Wendy is with them and she figures out and she's just like, oh God. They ate the potato salad. So, so yeah, you're kinda of going back another pivot into that more serious tone with Dr. Green and this couple after just like a minute interlude right. of the it's, it's of probably the, been like an hour that she's been on fluids. Yeah. And she is starting to come to and she's she asks Dr. Green that she's if she's dying, and he says yes. And then we get after he after Dr. Green tells tells her that we get uh, this next audio clip interaction, and yeah. Mrs. Franks, you are not going to be able to continue breathing on your own for very much longer. Do you want us to put you on a machine to help you breathe? Yes, she does. I'm asking your wife. Mr. Franks. For how long? I don't know. We've already discussed this. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I don't want you to go. Oh, I know. (laughs) Right in the gut. That's that's a gut punch. And that well, and then they go right from that to they do the like over the shoulder shot when he's like hugging her to then you can see diagonally across the room to the other bed and the newlywed couple is in the bed across the hall and it's just like this it's a little on the nose but it's like it's a very kind of sad visual i didn't even notice that yeah you got directly directly across the hallway now i'm sad the beginning of of marriage and love and everything and then right across the hall you got the end it's it's poignant but like i said a little on the nose but but it works yeah but that's another thing that comes up a lot is love, like like we said before, loved ones trying to deal with the fact that their that their family is going to die, and, and there's nothing they can do, and there's nothing that they can do, and you can very much see both sides of that with the husband just not ready to let go of his wife of however many years, and I imagine it's probably forty or fifty at, at some point at that point if they're both if she's eighty six at least and yeah her just wanting to go out peacefully and on her own terms and i can really respect that hard pivot we find out that the wedding couple has then brought their wedding party here because half of them are stuck in the hospital anyway throwing up their guts so they bring the polka band and everybody is dancing and it is wonderful yeah they have the they have you have a lovely scene of like they go into the waiting room and Mark's just sort of watching in the background, just watching all this little happiness unfold. Uh, Jerry and Lydia are actually dancing Ooh, in the middle of the waiting adorable. room along with the rest of the family folks. Oh my God, I love them. I love Jerry. He's my favorite. And while this is going on, Susan Lewis 
is talking with Dr. Shitbag again because, oh no, I'm sorry, Victor, the senile gentleman, comes back. They had found him walking naked on Halstead by himself and she pulls Lydia aside and says, hey, take him up to the psych ward right now. We're not arguing about this. Get him admitted under, like, my recommendation if you have to, but we're not waiting for a consult. Get him care. Yeah, just her taking the reins on pay- on on this guy and just putting her foot down so she is the biggest mom friend and she just wants everyone to be okay yeah she's she really kind of this is her big moment for the episode i think right and then after lydia walks away we see a quick shot of susan and mark talking and passing susan's making fun of you know oh uh, you looks like you had a good time and you know haha you had a blowjob (laughs) joke and then they talk again about you know doug still hasn't gone and seen carol like they were together two years. Why, you know, it's not his fault, but why isn't he going and seeing her? So clearly we're learning a little bit more about this history between Doug and Carol and just, just, yeah, I like to, in that scene, cause that's, that's all taking place kind of in the same sort of um, setting with the polka dancing and everything. Like there's all this like stuff going on. Right. I like that the actress comes in to alert green to let him know that the wife has died. You can't audibly hear her say that the wife has died, but I don't know if they put a focus mm-hmm. on her, like they put her mouth in focus or what, but you can clearly read her lips to, that she says the wife passed away or the wife has died. No, it's just really cool that like they felt that that didn't need it to be a spoken line, that they felt they could get that point across with just the visual of her moving her lips and his reaction to it. It was just a really, I, I love the way they did that. I could have sworn I heard it, but that might just be because we were watching it with captions and seeing her move her mouth at the same mm-hmm. time. So maybe I imagined it. Yeah, she says it for sure, but it's just drowned out by all the music. So, I mean, it's it, it's right. just, I like the way that they kind of, they kind of let, they let you know that they've got confidence in you as a viewer that you don't need to have everything yes. spelled out for you that sometimes just a look or just a you know seeing a uh, an interaction take place even though you're not there to listen to it is enough for you correct yeah. and then we get the real tearjerker yeah the dear fir- god the first time i've cried on the show and will not the be first the time last. of many yes <laughs> it will not be the, it is not it will not certainly be the last time that I will spew tears. This was real hard for me to watch. Yeah, just the lovely. I love. I love the. I love this older act. This older actor that's playing the husband. That's playing the husband of the mm-hmm. older couple that we mentioned before. Um, Mr. Frank. Yeah, Mr. Frank. He just has this lovely, like tearing up, um, song that he's singing, and sort of like the whole ER sort of stops and just listens and just respects his wife passing yeah respects this moment of humanity that's occurring before them which is kind of a little on the nose that everyone would stop what they're doing and watch this old man sing it's a little sappy but it's also the actual performance itself is very touching and it's gorgeous and very tear inducing in my opinion but what I found strange was right after this, he just walks off quickly and dis- like dissolves into the crowd. And yes, I understand it makes for a beautiful shot. And, you know, he is no longer relevant to our story. So, of course, he would naturally fade away just like his wife has. But the practical part of me is wondering, like, wait, don't you have to Yeah, I did the same thing. I was like, there's got to be something more to this. Like, there's got to be more procedure to, like... 
I can tell you for a fact it's practical versus storytelling. That's not a very exciting story to tell at that point. So I get why they chose to do that, but it is a strange visual. Right. And then keeping this on more of like a little more somber tone, we go from this scene into Mark and Jennifer in their backyard. Lauren just made a little disgusting face, which I imagine is (laughs) at Jennifer. Because poor, you know, poor Jennifer, I'm feeling for her more and more now now that you've set me straight in the last episode. But she, you know, she's all giddy after, oh, we got caught, ha ha, you know, we should, she says we should make love more often. She's feeling reconnected to her husband after them being so distant and so busy. And, you know, she's, she just, it don't, she, she says, you know, we should make love more, you know, hey, we could pick it up right now where we left off. And Dr. Green's just kind of pushing her away and like, no, we can't. What if Rachel wakes up? What if the neighbors see us? You know, I have to be back in the ER in two hours. And it just dawns on her, and she just goes, you're never going to leave, are you? Yeah. And he looks petrified in that moment. Like, he's been found out. Yeah, Anthony Edwards sells that moment so fucking well. And there's sort of, like, a lack of chemistry there, but I think that's the point. Yes. The point, yeah, is that their marriage is doomed sort of really falling apart. And little side note to that, how is it possible that they would be able to afford a house... Or even a a duplex. Yeah, on a residence salary and while she's in law school. Yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I imagine that the housing situation in a big city like that was probably different 25 years ago. That Not that different. uh, I don't know. And also, I mean, student loans maybe, (laughs) like housing stipends. I don't know. I'm trying to like come up with Mm. reasoning for it. I feel like we're nitpicking. At that point, I love that nitpicking. Point. But that's what the show yeah, is for. It's yeah. it's definitely it's definitely an odd visual after after everything that's been established up to this point that they make no money. Yeah. Oh, okay. I sorry. I just had a realization. So, are we good with this scene with with yeah. Mark and Jennifer? Yeah. Sure. Okay. So, when our favorite presumed sex addict comes in earlier, she's coming in to be treated for poison ivy on her butt. That needs to be noted. And Carter is the one who gets hooked into her clutches this time. And he's completely oblivious to her putting the moves on him when she, when he's treating her. And just, you know, like putting, putting ointment on her butt. Totally just shooting the shit. Nothing wrong with it at all. Not picking up on any of those vibes like Dr. Green was. And then Susan Lewis comes in the room. Best friend for everyone. And it's like, oh, you got this under control? He's like, yep, just poison ivy. Saw this on my dermatology rotation. You know, here's here's what she needs. We'll have it fixed right up you can leave and susan's like no i think i'll stay and she's like protective mom friend looking out for him making sure he doesn't get taken advantage of and so we now end up carter is finishing his day walking to his car and lo and behold he has a friend in his back seat yeah we get this we get this lovely audio interaction Carter, stop thinking with your dick. And how did she know it was his? Yeah, that's kind of a plot hole a little bit. And 
I, there I are do several questions. I do about love <laughs> um, when she pops out and jumps into the front seat, and he's clearly again doing that nonverbal, like taking stock of the situation, where he's trying to figure out how she ended up in his car, and he does he does this amazing <laughs> look of where he's like, "How did you get?" And he looks around, and then he looks up at the soft top of the Jeep that he drives. And I also love the continuity too that he keeps that Jeep for like seventy five percent of his time on the show. Like that oh, Jeep stays right. stays around for a long time. And it's part of his poor person <laughs> disguise. And he just does this little look up to the soft top that's just like you don't need a line, you don't need anything, it's just it's just perfect. And but I still don't like this character. She's awful and I can't wait for her to go away forever. I just I just want to know why she exists. What yeah, is her I just point? Want, what is the purpose of her? Like what is we're in this episode she's purely you know supposed to be comic relief, but there's already so much comic relief in this episode that I don't know why you need her. Well, that and we still have the baggage of last episode and like clearly she's established as having Right, a where she was not comic relief in any way. If anything, she was discomfort, she was tension, she was like this thing like uh, I don't know. I don't like her at all. I don't and I need to say, because this sounds like we're bashing on female sexuality, I am all for thirsty ladies. Oh, yeah. You, you girls. Get it's, you more, it's less about her, and it's more about her characterization that I don't like. It's that, it's that they yes. zigzag so dramatically between that she's this in, incredibly intense, kind of br- almost brooding character in the pilot to where she's played for 100% for laughs in the second episode. They portray her as almost predatory, and I think that's the problem I have with it, is that they're taking the strong female with, you know, sexy urges, and they're like, okay, how can we make it look like she's taking advantage exactly. of these men? Exactly, yeah, it's not a good look. Like, it's just it's just weird. I don't know. The whole thing's just... Wrong. Yeah, but then you go from very wrong to very right. Yes. Well, at least in the, at least in the, the shot of uh, Susan Lewis... Throwing on a black oh yeah, there we go, yeah. flexing those primetime muscles again. We got the full bareback shot of uh, like with the bra tan line and everything. Like in case you forgot mm-hmm. that this is on at ten o'clock at night. I was more excited about the jersey. We noticed two very different <laughs> things, but yes. And then we find out, and then we find out she's shacking up with Doctor Dickhead, which is just, bleh. <sighs> which is like okay, it's like she went from like complaining about her man troubles and the and the in the first episode to her it's a, what in the first episode it made it sound like she was single and it made it sound no, like she's back with paul okay well it made it sound like she was well Wait. she wasn't she wasn't with this guy in the first episode right. let me say that i think this comes from their earlier confrontation i think this is a this is the first time this has happened yeah, I, really? yeah, I can yeah. I can see both sides of that. I can see where because they do sort of there's a level of familiarity in their interaction that leads you to believe this is not a uh, the first time this has happened and like this is kind of a more of a long term thing. But I see that more as kind of a retconning of the pilot a little bit of like Paul was obviously never going to go anywhere as a character, so they just hard pivoted to she shacks up with the shrink. But I just I don't know. Like th- it says so much about the like. She spends the whole episode at this guy's throat. Like, they're both just going at each other. And it's not... I don't see it in, like, a, like, they are just both so passionate that that's why it creates... It breeds this this tension between them. And then that turns into a romantic thing. It's more just, he's an asshole. And, like, for that to, like, turn around and say, like, oh, she just ends up with the scummy guy. I don't know. It's like, it's just the whole interact... Or the whole, like, relationship there is one I was never a fan of. Yeah, and thankfully we won't get it for too much longer, as we've alluded to in the previ- uh, 
previously in this episode. And then from there, we, yay, we finally get Doug going to see Carol. And we get Carol's super intimidating boss of a mom, like, who's... I I feel so I know for a fact this is not the only lady who plays Carol's mom throughout the show and I I want to say it was like I want to yeah. say it's like three different actresses that might portray her at different points but it's at least two and this one is definitely the yeah. most like militant of all of them like she is she clearly does not like Doug and uh has a real strong presence about her and he just looks so sweet and defenseless when he brings these flowers up to the door and I just put half the way too good for your ass, Doug. <laughs> like, we don't know what he did, but he's been portrayed as such a little shit that, like, at this point, I'm worried for Carol. Like, I don't want her to get her heart broken again. I don't know what happened, but I don't want it to happen again. Yeah, she's, uh, she's, they, they do a good job with her here. Like, she's, she's looking a little rough, but they didn't, like, they didn't try to, like, immediately pretty her back up or anything. They kind of let it sit a little bit that she's been through some shit and she's still healing from it, but without making it without making kind of a spectacle out of it like they just kind of she's very understated here and i i like that yeah but they also you also have to remember it's been two months so she obviously would be doing better but she's also in this time off i would imagine she's been going through some pretty rigorous therapy yeah exactly and, right and it's also like 10 o'clock at night she's in her pajamas yeah none of us look that great at 10 That's at night true. i don't know what you're talking about i do well okay fine you're perfect but <laughs> most people don't yeah so we'll get more of that in the next we'll get more of that relationship in the next episode. So um, good. I'm so excited. And then we end the episode on Thrombosis Man is back. And turns out Benton was right because he comes back via an ambulance. And turns out he does have, he has thrown a blood clot and he is in extreme, in a very large amount of pain. And they don't really harp on it too much. It sort of ends on an, the whole episode sort of ends on an action shot of panning out from the trauma, like from the trauma room to just sort of a fade to black and you know you don't really end too many episodes that way i don't know how yeah, I it, was, about it was an interesting way to end it i kind of liked it honestly like because we didn't need to see the conclusion to that one he's not an important enough character and we got what we needed to know out of it in the terms of benton was ended up being right um one thing we forgot to kind of touch on earlier was that when that guy's personal physician comes in like he kind of he kind of bitches out Benton a little bit. Like he kind of like brings Benton down to cuts him down to size a little bit. And he does it in front of Carter. And it's kind of cool to see that hierarchy play out a little bit of like, we have to keep in mind that, you know, yes, Benton is, he's Carter's, you know, sort of deity of like, this is the guy who knows everything and I have to learn everything from him. But then you also see that when Benton is faced with a, a like quote unquote real doctor, like it's, he's also still learning and he's also still you know not fully formed yet even though he's right in this particular instance it's just interesting to see that that dynamic and that sort of like hierarchy of like for one person this guy's the expert but for somebody else he's he's still the student right like this guy's like oh you're you're a resident what year like yeah, he's a second-year resident, and this guy's this older doctor, who is the personal physician of the of thrombosis man, is just how <laughs> has an established practice. Yeah, has an established practice is just sort of probably one of those bougie doctors. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that's like in the place that Mark episode uh, that Mark interviewed in in the first episode. I imagine he has an office something yeah. like that. That's the vibe I got from from the personal. And physician. then that little that little moment, that little interaction between Carter and Benton at the end where he's like just for what it's worth 
you know, you were right. Or like, I think you were right or whatever. And Benton, Benton again with that like big brother type of relationship where he's not going to let Carter have anything where he's just like, yeah, well I'll make sure and alert the new England journal of medicine that you think I was right. Like he's just, yeah, he's so like, he just can't let Carter have even the slightest bit of an, of an in to a relationship with him. All right, that about wraps up our episode for today. Thank you all for listening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, our username is at SetTheToneER. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SettingTheTonePodcast. And we are also at SettingTheTonePodcast on Instagram. Uh, you can also support us on Patreon, Patreon.com slash SettingTheTonePodcast. Uh, you can help your fellow patrons unlock bonus shows, including a special season recap episode that we'll put out probably a couple times a year based on based on our current uh, release schedule. And I uh, can also unlock a monthly bonus show where we will just sort of wax poetic about whatever's going on for us at the current time, whatever movies we've seen, current events, etc., stuff like that. Um, our theme music was provided by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? Uh, they can find me, me personally on Instagram at dan.u, that's Y-O-U dot E-L. Um, and they can find me on the popular court, the pop culture based podcast that I host with my co-host Jake Terrell. Uh, we cover a different pop culture topic each week and kind of put it through a little mock trial. I believe this week we're going to be talking about, uh, Judd Apatow. Oh, nice. Oh, I look forward to that one. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Um, I can be found. My personal Twitter is at lobob92345. Again, that mishmash of numbers has been a username i have had since i was 12 years old and it was suggested to me via hotmail and i have just stuck with it um you can find me on twitter at uh random gamer uh, it's g-a-m-3-r and gamer um and yeah that should be we'll see thank you very much again for listening and we will be back with uh, next week with episode number three thank you very much